Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. There is no common ground possible between the people who believe in objective truth and cultural Marxists. Parents, social media is undermining you, left and right. I mean, it's like dumping a bucket of termites outside your house every day and then thinking, it'll be fine if they won't mess with my house. Feminism has told us that our, our children are the obstacle to our happiness instead of a means to our happiness. You know, when we take those tender and important and precious relationships away from women, they're not going to be more fulfilled without it. You know, Luther said on his deathbed that we're beggars all. He could have said, we're all dogs receiving crumbs from our master's table. This is Mark from Michigan, and I am a lawnmower listener. We love issues, etc. We've started a conversation with Dr. Ken Cherub on evangelism. We've come to that point where we're going to discuss the role of the pastor in evangelism, and in particular, what obstacles many pastors perceive to everyday evangelism, to reaching those who are not members of their church. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's part two of our series on evangelism. Dr. Ken Sherb joins us. He has a Ph.D. in church history from Ohio State University. He's director of evangelism, missions, stewardship, and human care for the Central Illinois District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Formerly served as a theology professor at Concordia University, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and as an assistant to the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Ken, welcome back. Hi, Todd. Glad to be back. What's really going on in evangelism? Is there more there than meets the eye? To put it in a biblical way, but maybe one we don't often hear, evangelism is extending the lordship of Christ. It's Christ extending his lordship. Now, of course, Jesus is lord and king over everything, but here I'm talking about the kingdom of grace. And that kind of gives you an idea of what we mean here by the term lord and lordship. We're not talking about Jesus being our boss. Rather, we're thinking more like the catechisms that reduce the second article of the creed just basically to saying Jesus Christ is my Lord, or he has become my Lord. That is, large catechism says, he has redeemed me from sin, from the devil, from death, and from all evil. Before this, I had no Lord and King, but was captive under the power of the devil. He has brought me back to God, from death to life, from sin to righteousness, and now keeps us there. Now, Todd, last time we quoted Hebrews 2, which talked about Christ destroying him who had the power of death, the devil, and delivering us, because otherwise the fear of death would keep us in lifelong bondage. But thanks be to God, that's not my bondage. The devil is not my Lord, neither is death, nor is the fear of death my Lord. No, Jesus Christ is my Lord, and I am under his gracious reign. 
As the large catechism said, explaining the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come, Christ has redeemed and delivered us and brought us to himself to rule us as a king of righteousness, life, and salvation against sin, death, and an evil conscience. To this end, he also gave his Holy Spirit to teach us through his Holy Word. Now, when that word goes to unchurched people, it works. So it's important that evangelism is Christ extending his lordship. It was not for nothing that just before telling his church to go and make disciples, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We call others to come under that authority as the Holy Spirit grants them faith through the gospel. So they too recognize and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Really, two of the key words to bear in mind for that text at the end of Matthew are disciple, and even though it's not explicitly mentioned in the passage, Lord. Now that's the end of Matthew. Think about the beginning of the book of Acts, which starts by saying, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with everything that Jesus began to do and teach. But, of course, that first book was just the beginning. That's what Luke says here. Jesus is now continuing to do and to teach, and that's the story as it goes on. He continues seeking and saving the lost. He continues extending his gracious and saving lordship over them. But now he does it through his church. This is the community, the large catechism says, through which the Holy Spirit speaks and does all his work. The church uses God's gospel word constantly to invite more and more people to join in the worshiping community gathered around word and sacrament to be members of the church. You had mentioned worship, and I'm sure that you're aware of the fact that for many, worship and evangelism mix about as well as fire and water. Well, yeah, but it need not be so. In eternity, there will be no evangelism. I mean, those in heaven will not need it, and it will do no good for those in hell. But the worship of God will continue in heaven. God's resurrected people will join the whole heavenly host in praising him without end. Meanwhile, here in time, bringing people the saving message of Christ entails bringing them into the church, where they will daily keep on receiving forgiveness and life through the gospel. And the praises they sing here will keep on going in eternity. Now, Todd, when I worked for the Synod 25 years ago, I once observed to a friend that worship, that is God conferring his gifts on us and us responding, is the church's most basic work. And I had that eternal perspective in view. But my friend who worked in the mission department at the time pointed out that when mission and evangelism people hear a statement like the one I just made, they can get nervous. They can get the impression that I'm claiming that churches ought to spend all their time refining their Sunday services, and that pastors ought to put so much time into that that they run out of time to reach out with the good news. Well, I'm certainly not saying that, but it does help to remember the eventual outcome. It's good for evangelism. You talked about pastors there. We are dwelling today on the role of pastors in evangelism. The Bible speaks about the proclamation of the Lordship of Christ, doesn't it? Sure. 
to say nothing of John the Baptizer and Jesus proclaiming the reign and rule of God in the New Testament, think back in the Old Testament, a passage like Isaiah 52, 7, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, and brings good news of salvation, and says to Zion, your God reigns. I love that. Your God. Not the idols, not your enemies, temporal or spiritual. None of them reign. The Lord who would send his own son to make the great sacrifice, that is to be crushed for our iniquities and pierced through for our transgressions, he reigns. Now, the prophets said that in Old Testament days, and of course today pastors say it to people inside the church and outside. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's talk about time. How much time, as far as you can tell, do pastors spend telling the good news about Jesus? I can tell you some things about this, Todd, because we conducted here in the Central Illinois District a uh, survey of our pastors at their conference last fall. And I asked them, how much time did they spend in a typical week bringing the good news of Christ, directly bringing the good news of Christ to unchurched people? And the answer averaged out to 1.6 hours per week. The survey also asked how much time they spent each week on outreach activities, maybe behind-the-scenes kind of things that were eventually aimed at bringing the gospel to the unchurched, and there it was a total of about 1.7 hours a week. So all in all, a little over three hours. That's not even 10% of a 50-hour work week, and if pastors are working 60 hours a week, it amounts to about 5%. Now, They also said, in answer to another question, that they spend about 14% of their time total as missionary to the community versus 86% of their time as chaplain to the congregation. I'm not sure how to fit all that together, but the raw number of hours is relatively low. And, of course, it is true that tending one's own flock as a pastor is the mission of the church, because the mission is to teach and nurture, but that's not everything. It's about preserving the faith, but that's not everything. This is not just simply waiting for people to come to you. So therefore, I contend that pastors, all of us, need to recover a sense of being sent to the community, not just being called to a congregation, but being called to reach out to the community. Now, the old pastoral practice manuals said that, they actually called on pastors to make a lot of visits, including Canvas, to Canvas eventually their entire town or city. And I have to say, Todd, I don't know what you would say, my generation of seminary students did not really pick up on that. I'm not saying that nobody told us, but I know, for example, that I did not get this the way I should have, and sadly, my pastoral work reflected that, especially in this postmodern post-Christendom age, a pastor really does need to see himself as a missionary. Now, that doesn't mean that you excuse bad theology or sloppy practice because you say, hey, I'm a missionary. I can't worry about getting it all that right. I just have to get things done and get them done in great numbers. No, maybe it has been used that way, but that's not what I'm talking about. When I say a pastor is a missionary to his community, I'm just acknowledging reality and the true scope of the pastoral calling. 
So pastors need to put themselves in positions where they can bring the gospel to the non-churched. On our survey, one respondent wrote, I trust the Lord to give opportunities, and I always engage when he does. So I checked, how much time does this guy spend on average every week in evangelism? He spends one hour. Another said, well, I evangelize through natural contact in my vocations. He reports spending zero hours on average. Well, Jesus said, go. Dr. Ken Sherb is our guest. It's part two of our series on evangelism. We'll get into that reference, Matthew 28, verse 19, next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventures in Acts with Sons of Sceva, Demetrius' beef with Paul, riot in Ephesus, an appeal for order, Paul in Macedonia and Greece. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. St. Peter encourages us, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That is where we get the Greek word for apologetics, that is to defend the Christian faith. The September issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the topics of apologetics and archaeology and discusses both of them in detail with articles from Paul Meyer, Sarah Rinsel, Mark Meal, and David Adams. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. Real Reformation Radio. You're listening to Issues Etc. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Concordia University Chicago invites all high school students to attend the annual Careers for Christ weekend in person on our beautiful campus in River Forest. Careers for Christ is November 3rd through the 5th. You'll have the opportunity to learn about professional church vocations while having fun with CUC staff, faculty, and students. For more information, visit cuchicago.edu forward slash C 
the number four C. That is cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four C. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Dr. Ken Sherb is our guest, Director of Evangelism and Mission Stewardship and Human Care for the Central Illinois District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, part two of our series with him on evangelism. Can you point out that the first word in Matthew 28, verse 19 there is go? How should that be understood? Well, the going that we're talking about here in Matthew 28 is often understood, I often hear it explained in this way. As you are going, that is, as you are going about the regular run of all the other things you ordinarily do, as you are going, make disciples. It amounts to one item among many, then. And some people hold to this interpretation pretty tightly because they have a lot invested in it. I know one pastor told me that before he went to seminary, he was really feeling guilty. He thought this passage was making him personally responsible for the conversion of everybody, But when he started to think of evangelism on an as-you-are-going basis, as one agenda item among others, he said he started feeling better. But I wonder if that really captures what the word means. Now, it is understandable that people might want to translate that word go as simply going or as-you-are-going, Because grammatically, the word in Matthew 28 is a participle in Greek. And for that reason, that interpretation seemed pretty plausible to me when I first heard it. But the more I looked through the book of Matthew in Greek, the more I saw that if as you are going is supposed to be the best translation of this particular form of this particular verb in Matthew, well, then this would be the only instance in the book where it ought to be translated that way. See, you have exactly the same verb form in these verses. In chapter 11, verse 4, Jesus says to John the baptizer's disciples, go and tell John what you hear and see. Now, he wasn't saying, go and as you have opportunity, if it's something that comes up in the course of your activities, tell John. No, they were to go and tell John. Or in chapter 2, verse 8, King Herod tells the wise men, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word. That wasn't just as you are going. He was giving them a definite directive. Or in chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And even there, he wasn't saying, Oh, as you can work this in, as you have time for it amid everything else you're doing, go and learn what this means. No, in all these cases, this word, and remember, it is to the letter, the same form of the Greek word in each of these instances. And the word is a participle. But in these passages, like in Matthew 28, it has the force of an imperative, just like the immediately following verb, which is also an imperative. In other words, there was to be a definite purpose to the going. And what people were told to do when they went was more than just one item among many. The closest I have been able to find in the book of Matthew to a place where this verb might have the kind of meaning that's being claimed for it in Matthew 28, and even this is not totally identical, is Matthew 10, verse 7, where Jesus sends the 12 out, and he tells them, preach 
as you go. Now here it is the same verb, but in a different tense. So all in all, I conclude that the best way to understand this word toward the end of Matthew 28 is exactly what we have in most English Bible translations, and that is, go. Translate it like a command. Jesus is saying, go. The church should go. Pastors should go, and go for the purpose of making disciples by baptizing and teaching. And if there are people to be made disciples of, well, don't just wait for them to come to you. Go. Todd, recalling our conversation last week, this will involve a desire to go on the part of pastors, no less than anyone else in the church. And pastors I know do want to extend the lordship of Christ. And so it's not hard to recognize that this involves going. Does that mean the pastor needs to be out of the office, out of the classroom all the time? No, the command is to make disciples by baptizing and teaching. So one aspect of the command should not be sort of played off against the other aspect of it. Nurture involves teaching the flock that is already there, and that in turn requires the pastor to have something to say. He needs to be apt to teach. It is emphatically not a problem that pastors have spent time in study learning biblical interpretation and languages and doctrine. It's not that they would be better off if they had never studied such things, or that the church would be better off if they didn't have that knowledge. A problem arises only when the pastor sort of never gets his head out of a book. It's not only getting one's head out of a book, I would think, but also getting out where non-church people are. Yeah, you're right. And that is a challenge. Because pastors tend to rub shoulders with Christian people. That's their social circle for most purposes. And those Christians are usually the members of the congregations that these pastors serve. And so it becomes difficult for them to kind of break out and start talking to other people. When I was a pastor in Moberly, Missouri, I used to tell my secretary, that she had to keep reminding me and keep helping me to think about the people and reach out to the people that I did not ordinarily see. And this was important for her as church secretary, too. We, both of us, were constantly dealing with people who presented themselves to us in one way or another. But trying to bear in mind that we were there also to serve in our own ways, those whom we did not see on a regular basis, was really important. Now, in my case... I forced myself to get out and speak the gospel to non-churched people by using Bible studies as a forum. I conducted a Bible study at lunchtime on Wednesdays at the local community college, and I conducted a Bible study on Thursday afternoons at a local nursing home. I would make my visits to the people I had from my congregation who were at that nursing home, but I would also conduct a Bible study for anybody who wanted to come, and a lot of those were unchurched folks. What else can a pastor do to put himself into that position? Here are some of the things I found that the pastors in our district are doing, according to our survey from last spring. A lot of it has to do with parochial schools. Several of the pastors said that they interact with their parochial school families, and they were spending a good deal of time doing that. One said, I'm very involved in the school. And I observed that that's a great thing, as long as you don't put 
all your evangelism eggs into that basket. And by the way, we are pilot testing for the Synod here in central Illinois, an outreach program specifically designed for churches that have Lutheran schools. It's called Beyond the Classroom. Some of our pastors reported that they do preschool chapel services, and very often family members are in attendance there, and they greet family members at the door when they're dropping off kids or picking them up before or after school. So schools can be a great advantage here. But speaking of schools, one pastor said he's starting a relationship with a public school down the street. Now, he was just getting started with that. When I left Moberly to come here, we were just getting started. We'd done about a year's worth of cooperation with a public school down the street from our congregation, and I think that could have had some great potential. Other pastors said that they spend hours inviting people to vacation Bible school, and that's a great idea. Of course, follow-up after vacation Bible school is also very important. They're not dismiss Vacation Bible School and go over it too lightly. The preparation, not only of the teaching, but also the evangelism side of it can be very, very important. Another pastor said he visits with members at various life events because there are unchurched people there also. And that's, again, a very important thing to bear in mind, and you need to reach out to them. Other ideas were conducting a midweek Bible study, like at the local senior apartments, leading chapel at a homeless center, serving as a police chaplain or a fire chaplain or working with addiction groups. When you stop and think about it, and of course these are all different things mentioned by different pastors. No one pastor is doing all of these, and maybe no one pastor could do all of these. But it really does amount to quite an array of things that our guys have come up with, and and creatively so, to put themselves in a position to bring the gospel to non-churched people. We'll talk more about those efforts when we return with Dr. Ken Sherb in part two of our series on evangelism. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. This fallen creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ's altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org slash disaster. That's lcms.org slash disaster. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org slash conference. Lutherans for Life. 
equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org Welcome to Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Virginia Beach. Every Sunday we gather to hear God's Word rightly divided, to celebrate the Lord's Supper and grow in faith and discipleship. We welcome our military community in the Hampton Roads area. Please see our website at princeofpeacevb.org. That is princeofpeacevb.org. Providing artillery support for the church militant on the front lines, you're listening to Issues Etc. Our school is committed to authentic Lutheranism, the entire Book of Concord, and indeed to authentic Lutheranism as it has continued to be confessed and practiced through the centuries, right up into our own time. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, Chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional Christianity and Lutheranism and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Dr. Ken Sherb is our guest. It's part two of our series with him on evangelism. Ken, before the break, you were telling us what the Central Illinois District pastors are doing to put themselves in a position to bring the gospel to the unchurched. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? Well, there's a few more things our pastors mentioned. Now, these may require a bit of thought because there can be a plus and a minus side to each. One that our pastors mentioned was just going around town in a clerical collar. Now that has the plus of identifying you easily for the general public as a clergyman. And some people may even come up to you and ask you spiritual questions or ask you to pray for them, pray with them. It can be inviting, and if it's doing that, it's great. Some pastors find that it seems to erect a barrier between them and others. And, of course, you don't want the barrier to be there. So different pastors are going to do this in different ways. Another one where there can be some pro and con is one guy said he puts up a sign at a coffee house that says, what's your story? I've heard of other pastors going to like McDonald's and just sitting there at a table at lunchtime and saying, can I pray for you, and sort of inviting prayer that way. I myself have never tried this. I did think about it in the parish, but I never actually did it. Now, the potential plus involved here is if a pastor just needs to get started and is looking for some way to sort of get off the dime and begin to talk to some non-churched people, this could be a way to bring that about. Now, my friend Mark Wood, who is the Director of Witness and Outreach for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, said, Well, he'd rather see a pastor spend an hour teaching other people to tell the good news rather than spending that time at McDonald's or something with a sign that nobody may respond to. 
there's more lay people than there are pastors, so he can multiply his influence by teaching others, obviously. And then one more that is kind of pro or con, and that is maintaining an online presence. I'm not quite sure what pastors meant by that, whether that meant dealing with people who had seen their church services online or responding to stuff off their website. Certainly, you can reach people that way who are on the Internet and perhaps not easily reachable otherwise, and you can even enter into personal conversation with them through emails and chats. The minus can be that pastors can spend a lot of time on this, and not just the actual evangelistic side of it, but the technical side of it, just making sure that your computer is working correctly and that you've got the programs correctly installed and all that other kind of stuff that can really just end up being a pit for your time. Would you add anything else? Well, two things. The first may be characterized as rather indirect as something pastors can do for evangelism, but it's still very important, and that is the intercessory prayer that pastors offer for non-churched people in their church services. Remember, Todd, what we said earlier. When the Lordship of Christ is extended, there is going to be worship. We might say it this way. Evangelism starts at the altar, and it leads back to the altar. What we have primarily in mind, of course, in saying that is that there are the gifts of God in Christ, and there God's people are receiving them, especially the body he gave for us and the blood he shed for us. But at the altar, the church also offers prayers. And that's my point here. Pastors can pray in the public prayers of the church that the gospel be brought to the non-churched. Pray for specific kinds of non-churched people. Pray that the Lord would use this pastor and these people to bring the gospel to others. Pray, in other words, like St. Paul did in Colossians 4, for open doors, and told the Colossians, pray for me for an open door. And then you can say to church visitors, hey, the fact that you are here is no accident. We have been praying for you without even knowing who you are. We've been praying for you. And by praying in this way at church, pastors can kind of set the tone for the members of their congregation and give them something that can carry over into prayer life at home and in the family. You said there were two things. What's the second thing? Well, the other is to learn a lesson from church history. My former teacher, Dr. Bill Weinrich, pointed out some time back in a lecture that in the early church, for example, the church of the first and second and third centuries, there is no question that personal witness by common Christians was very important and notable because Christian and pagan sources alike point this out. And by the way, that lecture emphasized evangelism as Christ extending his lordship. I happily consulted it in preparing for this interview. And I think we're going to provide a link to the audio of that lecture on the Issues Etc. website. Well, then, Dr. Weinrich went on to say what I especially want to point out here. In those early years, evangelism was a churchly activity. It was not just what individual Christians did. Now, here, of course, pastors stood at center stage. Not alone on stage, but sort of at center stage. 
Dr. Weinrich in his lecture dwelt on the way St. Paul's churches sent pastors from their own midst to go and work alongside Paul, at least for a time. You might say, in fact, he did say that church planting stood out as even more important in those early days of the church than individual witness by Christians, although obviously new churches involved individual conversions. So one more thing that pastors can do to bring the gospel of Christ to unchurched people is to work toward planting new churches. And through this, the Lordship of Christ can be extended to new places. Now, church planting is not the focus of our series here, but it is important, and so we're putting on the Issues Etc. website a link also to tools that can help pastors as they start the church planting conversation in their churches. What might be some obstacles between pastors and doing more to bring the good news to unchurched people? In the survey we took earlier this year, pastors of our district listed several things, including three real big ones. The first, which was cited by almost two-thirds of them, I find completely unsurprising. And I say this as a former parish pastor myself. The thing that most of them said was standing between them and doing more in the way of evangelism was lack of time. Now, the thing that did surprise me a bit on this one was that we also asked in the survey, in a typical week on a scale of 1 to 10, how overwhelmed do you sense yourself to be as a pastor? And some of them answered with pretty high numbers like 8 or 9. Others answered with really low numbers. There were a couple of twos I remember I saw. But the average response was 5.4. On a 1 to 10 scale, 5.4 is pretty much right in the middle. Now, of course, that is an average, but it does seem that on the whole, our pastors are not terribly overwhelmed. And yet they say that the biggest thing standing between them and bringing the gospel to the unchurched more is a lack of time. The best explanation that I think I've come up with about this, and I'm going to be talking with the pastors about these results at the next conference coming up soon, is that pastors have figured a way to establish sort of an equilibrium in their workload. They've got things manageable, but don't add one more big thing that they have to devote time to consistently week after week after week, because if you added that one more thing, well, that could be more than just a straw and break the camel's back. What can be done about this lack of time with pastors? Well, pastors themselves can re-examine what they end up spending their time on. Often, I know we've all found this, you can find ways to do things in a different way that avoids wasting time. Time investment also reflects priorities. I know one guy who says, even more than your bank book, your schedule shows where your priorities really are. So if bringing the gospel to the unchurched is really a priority, then how can more time be devoted to it? And that kind of reexamination may require that pastors rethink certain things they're doing, and they should ask, well, is this something that I, as pastor, must do? Could somebody else do it? In my first congregation, I know, Todd, I typed every word of every bulletin, every newsletter. I ran off most of them, too. Now, that was work that could have been taken over by somebody else, giving me more time. 
So congregations have to get in on the act also. Within a congregation, could lay people take some tasks off their pastor's plates? And what might congregations do cooperatively with one another to help each other out, especially the ones that are not located too far away from each other? I'm Todd Wilkin, your link to Issues Etc. It's part two of our evangelism series with Dr. Ken Sherb. He has a Ph.D. in church history from Ohio State University. He's director of evangelism and missions, stewardship, and human care for the Central Illinois District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, formerly served as a theology professor at Concordia University, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and as an assistant to the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's also a graduate of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, where they form servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. For more information on studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess, visit ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. On the other side, what other obstacles did pastors report to evangelizing the unchurched? There are at least two ways to see the Messiah's presence in the Old Testament. The chief would be the Lord's messenger. Dr. Reed Lessing, co-author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. The second way we see the presence of Jesus in the Old Testament would be through God's glory. Learn more about the Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference is Saturday, November 4th in Chicago. This year's theme is, For Such a Time as This, Discernment, Boldness, and Compassion. Brian Wolfmiller, John Bombaro, and others will be speaking on gender-solid parenting, wokeism in schools, transgender pronouns, and sharing Christ in a woke culture. For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago, worldviewchicago.org. The Lord has sanctified us in the true faith. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Old Theology, New Technology, you're listening to Issues Etc. 
Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Did you know that we send out an email each week that details upcoming show topics? It's available for you to include in your weekly church bulletin. Just click the Issues Etc. Journal logo at our homepage, issuesetc.org, and sign up to receive the church bulletin blurb. It's an easy way to invite your fellow parishioners to listen to Issues Etc., issuesetc.org. Look for the Issues Etc. Journal logo and register to receive a weekly bulletin paragraph from Issues Etc. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Dr. Ken Sharp is our guest. It's part two of our series on evangelism. Ken, before the break, you were telling us what some of the pastors responding to your research said was standing between them and evangelizing the unchurched. What other obstacles did they report? Well, there were two other pretty big ones, and each one of these appeared in a bit more than a third of the responses overall. One was the need to step out of one's own comfort zone. As we kind of said before, pastors are accustomed to speaking to Christians. And in most cases, those Christians are members of the churches that they serve. So it does take a little bit of thinking and reading in order to prepare oneself to speak in a different way to a new audience. I mean, St. Paul certainly spoke differently to the Greek philosophers at the Areopagus than he had spoken, say, in a Jewish synagogue about Jesus, the Messiah. And he evidently did some thinking in preparation for that. But he did it. There's no substitute for getting in there and making a beginning. Now, we should also add that a pastor, or for that matter, any Christian, may have to swallow hard over the fact that the gospel will at times be rejected. We know that comes with the turf. It is, after all, not our job, but the Holy Spirit's job to convert the heart. And so no one, including pastors, ought to hold themselves responsible for the results as they tell the good news. Now, the other thing that pastors reported fairly often, besides stepping out of the comfort zone, is uncertainty as to how to go about the evangelism task. Now, that brings to mind a whole lot of things, Todd, but one that comes to mind prominently is a point that I think I made in our conversation last week, and that is the need for sort of a mid-level set of tactics and some advice for telling the good news about Jesus. Not the most basic things, not the more sophisticated analyses and approaches, ideas somewhere in between. Pastors can use those too. Give us an example of that. Well, remember, folks, I'd like to get from you issues, etc., listeners, some witnessing stories, like the one I'm going to tell to answer this question. I would love it if we got a bunch of stories, reports, really, from you on a number of real-life gospel conversations. 
these would really help us think through what such situations are like and help us all to anticipate how we can deal with these situations when we encounter them ourselves. So I'm going to tell you this story. I think last week my story was about making a pastoral call on the mother of one of our church's preschool pupils, an unchurched lady. This time the story is more about a conversation that I had that really lots and lots of us could have. I was out to dinner with my brother and his family, and there I met his college-age son's new girlfriend. She had come along to eat with us. I ended up sitting right across from her at the table in the restaurant, so we were talking, the two of us, all the way through that meal. What happened? Well, in the course of the conversation, I asked her, had she been raised in a church? sort of mid-level suggestion for beginning an evangelistic conversation. And people generally are not going to take offense at that. After all, it was beyond their control if they were raised in a church. They can give you an answer whether they like being raised in a church or not. In answering the question, they don't have to say whether they liked it. In other words, I was kind of hoping she would. And she did. She had been raised in a church, she said, Baptist, I think it was, but she and her family had gotten away from it. So then I posed a couple of follow-up questions to try to find out what she understood about Jesus and what she said about Jesus. Well, she knew the broad outlines of the gospel, that Jesus died to save people from their sins and rose again. I tried to emphasize the importance of this because I thought she was sort of holding it all at arm's length. And then she said, now here's my problem. You're asking me to stake my whole life on this, but how do I know it's true? Well, I told her, I understood her point, but the death and even the resurrection of Christ are among the best attested facts that anybody knows from the whole ancient world. If you don't accept these things as true, you're going to have a hard time accepting as true anything else from that time period. And what's more, we all have to come face to face with things in our lives, even with respect to very consequential life and death matters, where we just don't have as much data as maybe we would like to have. For example, whenever you cross the street, You never can be 100% sure that it's going to be safe to do so. But you don't just take the part of yourself that's relatively certain across the street. You don't just take 80% or 90% of you across the street. 100% of you ends up going across the street. Now, I added, in the case of Christ, there's nothing for you to do. You hear the gospel, and the Holy Spirit provides the miracle that brings about faith and the certainty of faith. Well, the conversation kind of went on from there and and really sort of petered out from an evangelistic point of view. I'm sad to say I don't really know how things turned out with this young lady. This was the one talk I ever had with her, and soon after that, my nephew stopped dating her. In complete hindsight, I wish I would have spoken the gospel more to her rather than just resting with what she said about Jesus and how he died and rose. And admittedly, follow-up here was poor. 
Well, anyway, this is the kind of thing that I'm asking you issues, etc., listeners for. And I would guess that just about everybody in our audience has such a story. It doesn't necessarily have to have a definite end like mine doesn't. It doesn't have to have a quote-unquote happy ending. But we'd still like to hear about your witnessing conversations. Telephone the Issues Etc. comment line at 618-223-8382. That's 618-223-8382. Or write to talkback at issuesetc.org. Tell your story, just like I told that one a moment ago. And you can put it in the form of, I said, then he said, then I said, then he said. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to report the whole conversation. But tell us your story. Call 618-223-8382 or email talkback at issuesetc.org. Ken, how would you summarize what we've said so far today? Evangelism is really Christ extending his lordship, his kingdom of grace. He extends his church through his church and her pastors. On average, although there are exceptions, I have found that pastors do not spend as much time on evangelism, either the direct speaking of the gospel to the non-churched or planning for it, as they might. In fact, the leading thing that I've found most pastors say that stands between them and doing more evangelism is a lack of time. And by the way, also high on the list of obstacles were the need to get out of one's own comfort zone and uncertainty as to just how to go about it. The church and her pastors cannot simply hang back and wait for people to come to us. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That is going with purpose, not just making disciples if the occasion seems to present itself. And in point of fact, many, many pastors have acted accordingly. Between them, they have come up with a whole array of ways to put themselves in positions to tell the good news about Jesus to the non-churched. And also, we should probably single out for mention in this connection something that was very important in the early church, and that was church planting. And the Issues Etc. website will carry links to some materials about that. Todd, I fear there's going to be no true or false today. I just ran us out of time. What is up next week? Well, one of the points that is made in the call documents for most pastors I know is that they are called to guide the mission activities of the congregations they serve and to equip members of the congregation for Christ's mission to seek and save the lost. Sometimes churches will take unusual steps and go to great lengths. But there are other things that churches can do corporately for evangelism that are relatively simple. And we're going to concentrate on that next time, the relatively simple, basic steps that congregations can take. Dr. Ken Sherb has a Ph.D. in church history from Ohio State University. He's director of evangelism and mission stewardship and human care for the Central Illinois District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Formerly served as a theology professor at Concordia University, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and as an assistant to the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Ken, thanks. Always a pleasure, Todd. Thank you. Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, talking with Pastor Peter Bender about Jesus' admonition, do not be anxious. And we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. 
Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Would you like to learn about the Reformation theology you hear on Issues Etc.? We'll send you a pamphlet of Luther's small catechism for free. It contains the biblical teachings on the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and Confession and Absolution. Order your free copy of Luther's Small Catechism today. Just send your name and mailing address to talkback at issuesetc.org. Join us September 29th at 7 p.m. for a hymn festival celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Collinsville, Illinois. Hymn commentary will be provided by Pastor Will Whedon, host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, along with organist Chris Lemker, orchestra, and choir. For more information or to register to sing in the choir, visit our website, withangelsandarchangels.org. Jesus the Good Shepherd says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. We invite you to join us as we listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him who gives us eternal life. Sunday worship services at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible class at 1030, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. That's goodshepherdarnold.org.